0: It's a crazy thing about, about the internet and the power that we have at our disposal to communicate. Um, that little video clip that uh, Izzy, my dog, and I put on yesterday, had, uh, as of this morning, 2,005 hits. That's pretty crazy. So uh, I think maybe I'll be making the shift into televangelism from now on, me and the dog. But uh, nonetheless, that's, uh, that's what it was. It's, it's not wild, it's amazing to me what the Holy Spirit does with the likes of us. I put this message together a month ago, actually, because I usually work five, four to five, six weeks ahead, but the way the Holy Spirit plays things out, He knew that uh, this would work today, so to speak. Tyler's message is from orphan to queen Winston Churchill had an opportunity with destiny, but he was oblivious to the calendar destiny kept. That is until May 10th, 1939, when he discovered his name in in destiny's appointment book. So the morning of May 10th dawned in London with news of a German offensive. Holland and Belgium had been invaded, and France was soon to be trodden under the rapidly advancing Nazi boot. So at 6 o'clock in the morning, the message summoned Churchill to the royal palace. There the king, George VI, asked him to mobilize the English and the British government against, uh, against Germany. By the end of the day, Churchill had accepted a position he would hold for the duration of the war, one that would secure his place of honor in history. And if you know anything about the World War II about World War II and the British and what happened, uh, Churchill pretty much saved the English. His journal rec- records his feelings on that fateful night, and I quote, During these last crowded days of the political crisis, my pulse had not quickened at any moment. I took it all as it came, but I cannot conceal from the reader of this truthful account that I went to bed about 3 a.m. I was conscious of a profound sense of relief. At last, I had the authority to give directions over the whole scene. I felt as if I were walking with destiny and that all my past life had been but a preparation for this hour and for this trial. I think sometimes in life we get to that point where we're put into a situation and we wonder if all the training and all the things that we have taken in of our life prepared us for this one moment. I probably shared this story because, like I said, as I get older, I repeat myself a lot. Diane and I spent 14 years in Northern Illinois pastoring two churches, and in that whole scheme of things, God was preparing us to come to Sullivan, Indiana. Certainly Esther must have felt similar with Churchill and with myself to a degree when she heard the faithful words of Mordecai in Esther four fourteen, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. For such a time of this today, It's safe to say, I think, this morning that we are now in uncharted territory with this COVID-19 pandemic. President Trump called it a national emergency. I'm 69 years old, and I've lived through quite a few emergencies, but I don't know if I ever remember in my life where the president of the United States came on national TV and says, this is a national emergency. Here's what we know for sure this morning. This too shall pass. Our God is in control. This presents another opportunity for Crossroads and the Christian community to shine for Christ. The Bible contains 365 references to God telling His people to fear not. It is what He is telling you and I here this morning to fear not. Some wouldn't see this as an opportunity, but... But, but I do. It's an opportunity for we as followers of Jesus Christ to be Jesus to our families, to our neighbors, and all that we come in contact with, to be, to be the church in such a time as this. I can't guarantee you what's going to happen in the next few weeks. God knows, but he has you and I into this world, and it really rises to surface when Christ told us says. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light. And if there's ever a time in our history, even as crossroads, today is the time to shine for Christ. Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Psalm nine ten, Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 13, 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Psalm thirty-one fourteen. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. Psalm 56, 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And Steve's favorite verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. John 14, 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Romans 15:13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit Perhaps this is our appointed time with destiny for touches for such a time as this for us to rise and be who God has created us to be The church is the only organization in the world that dispenses grace on tap. And that's where we are at such a time as this. I want to go back and finish this message with Esther. Her life grew from uneventful beginnings to unbelievable endings. We look at her life and we see that she went from a humdrum life of an orphan to a palatial life as queen of the most one of the most powerful men in the world and secured her place in Israel's history which is amazing to me because in we look at Israel's history from Genesis up until today actually and in those Old Testament times women women were on weren't on an equal plane they were they were below a man and here Esther is in the whole scheme of things of Christ coming to earth, actually. If you remember, in the intro to Esther, we found out that uh, Satan devised a plan through a villain by the name of Haman to eradicate all the Jews off the face of the earth. He had maybe the same mindset that Hitler did, but, but God intervened. You know, the New Testament records a number of in- incidents that started uneventful yet ended Unbelievable. The birth of our Lord is one. I'm sure that night, centuries, eons ago, in Israel, that night, that night was like any other night. There wasn't a decree went out that this Savior was going to be born. On that silent night in Bethlehem, God entered the world, and since then, the ripples of that event have touched every shore on the face of the earth. Another incident was the day of Christ's resurrection, just another sleepy Sunday morning for the majority of people in Jerusalem. And yet that chilly pastel morning gave dawn, a dawn of hope to a world shrouded in the dark finality of the grave. I think that day that Christ comes back will be the same way. Our alarms will go off perhaps, and he might come in the night. Our alarms will go off, and we'll get up, and we'll go about our daily Routine. But yet, in that midst of that time, we'll hear a shout, the trump will blow, and the eastern sky will split, and Jesus Christ Himself will take His people out. The Old Testament has equivalent compelling examples as well. The day the great flood swallowed every civilization on earth, the day Moses encountered the burning bush and was commissioned to lead Israel. As we look at Esther's uneventful beginning, we find that God is still in the business of bringing about unbelievable endings from uneventful beginnings. Little did this insignificant orphan girl know the incredible way that God would work in her life. And I'm sure that that morning she got out of bed with her hair messed up and that morning breast, she didn't realize that she'd be entering into a beauty pageant, that God would instrument her to be the winner, that she would end up queen of the Medo-Persian empire. And we have read that it was was an empire that stretched from India to Ethiopia. The book of Esther begins bland in a sense. Now, it took place in the days of the Hazareas. The Hebrew is just as lackluster as it says, and it was. NIV captures it this way. This is what happened. But what happened was anything but dull. Verses 1 and 2 set the stage for the resplendent opening scene. Now, it took place in the days of Ahasuerus, the the who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne, which was in Susa, the capital... And what took place? This is kind of an amazing thing, a party. And what a party it was. The king decided to regale his kingdom with a a banquet so elaborate that it made like the famed bashes of the late Malcolm Forbes look like brown bag luncheons. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all of his princes and attendants. The army of officers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of his provinces being in his presence. And he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days. 180 days. They had a party that lasted 180 days. That's pretty phenomenal in itself. The scripture goes on. And when these days were completed, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Susa, the capital, from the greatest to the least. In the court of the garden of the king's palace, there were hangings of fine white and violet linen held by cords of fine purple linen or silver rings and marble columns and couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds, and the royal wine was plentiful according to the king's bounty, and the drinking was done according to the law." There was no compulsion, for so the king had given orders to each official of his household that he should do according to the desires of each person. Meanwhile, King's wife threw a party of her own, verse nine, Queen Vashti, who gave also gave a banquet for the women in the palace which belonged to King Ahasuerus. And now as we look at this, we see a public conflict between the king and the queen. So after a week of festivities. This party that Ahasuerus threw for the men got a little bit out of hand. Listen to verses 10 and 11. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bista, Harbona, Bigtha, Agatha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with a royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes, for she was beautiful." If we would say that in today's language, the king wanted to bring his hot-smoking wife in to show off to all the men in the palace or all the people that was gathered there. This gets amazing. He said, the word translated crowned literally means turban. Some Jewish scholars suggest that the command was for Vashti to come to show off her beautiful face. Others suggest that the command was for her to come wearing only the turban, thus showing off everything. Verse 12. Whatever the royal order that came to her out of the banquet hall exactly was, the brave queen refused to obey it. Her beauty was her own and her husband's. It was not for open show among hundreds of half drunk men. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. So, we see this queen. She represents a good example of the limit of a wife's submission. Yeah, the command is to submit to the husband in Ephesians 5 22 through 24. But that was not without limits. A wife does not have to give up her dignity as a human being to please her husband, nor should she be allowed her principles to be trodden underfoot by an unprincipled husband as well. Marriage does not give the husband license to pursue his basest sexual desires or fantasies, and neither does it enslave the wife to fulfill them. Nevertheless, the queen's refusal infuriated the king and brought out this heated debate then the king became very angry, and his wrath burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times For it was the custom of the king, so to speak, before all who knew law and justice and were close to him. Carcina, Shethar, Adamatha, Tarshish, Merez, Marsina, and Mukan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who had access to the king's presence, sat down in the first place in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to become with king, Queen Vashti, because she did not obey the command of the king, Ahasuerus, delivered by the eunuchs. Eunuchs being sterilized men, if you don't know what that means. And then going on in 12 through 18. And in the presence of the king and the princes, Mamukin said, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, causing them to look with contempt on their husbands by saying, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought into his presence, but she did not come. And this day, the ladies of Persia and Media who have heard of the queen's conduct will speak in the same way to all their king's princes, and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. You get the drift there? Women in the, in the, would hear this and read it and say, you know what? I don't have to listen to my husband anymore. I'm going, to, I'm going to do what I want and maybe cause some problems in the home. Things are different today, are they not? Here's the immediate proclamation to all uh, of oh, Hubei. In those days, the king was supreme. You couldn't impeach him. You couldn't vote him out if you didn't like him. Whatever he said was the law. This particular edict had two parts. The first regarded the queen, verse 19, And the second regarded all the marriages in the medieval Persian empire, verses 20 through 22. This is all foreign to us because in which the world in which we live and the way that things are done in America. But this, this this is almost bizarre to us for our Western mindset. Starting with verse 19. If it pleases the king, let a royal edict be passed by him, and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, so that it cannot be repealed. That Vashti should no more come no more into the presence of King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another, who is more worthy than she. And when the king's edict which he shall make is heard throughout all his kingdom, great as it is, then all women will give honor to their husbands, great and small. This word pleased the king and the princess. The king did as Mimucan proposed, so he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province, according to its script, and to every people according to their language, that every man should be the master in his own house, and the one who speaks in the language of his own people. What an edict that was. From now on in the land of Media and Persia, the man was going to be in charge, and whatever he said went. And there's not a lot of amens going on out there right now, I'm sure, from all the females in the crowd, but I'm just saying, this is, I know this is, is, is probably long, a lot of scripture or whatever, but I, I wanted to paint this picture of how God is in control. And even in that sense, how he could take people and move them like pawns to bring about his order, so to speak. The salient point of the edict, as far as God's providence was concerned, is the clause. Let the king give her royal position to another. Queen Vashti was done. God was orchestrating that to move Esther into that place to save the Jews. This clause prepares the way for Esther, and it illustrates the truth in Proverbs 21:1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Not even a powerful king can stand in the way of our God. Esther 2 begins in a nostalgic, almost melancholy tone. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against. This could have been during the time between 480 and 479 B.C. where Ahasuerus' armies had been defeated by the Greeks. And so he was, having a, he was bummed out, actually. And now that he's let the queen go, I imagine he's missing her to a degree. So his attendants took note of this, and they come up with a remedy Then the king's attendants who served him said, Let beautiful young virgins be brought for the king, or sought for the king, and let the king appoint overseers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather gather every beautiful young virgin to Susa, the capital, to the harem, and to the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given them. Then let the young lady who pleases the king be queen in the place of Vashti. And the matter pleased the king, and he did accordingly. So, here in this whole picture, we enter into an unknown man and an obscure woman. God worked His way through a beauty pageant to bring Esther into Ahasuerus' life. Now, there was a Jew in Susa, the capital, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with, with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. And he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So that's how her resume read. She was a Jew and an orphan. I, think, I don't think I know that it's a classic example how God can use It seems ordinary people to do his will. Here are three things to think about this morning as we apply this message. Number one, God's plans are not hindered even when events are secular or carnal. His power penetrates through the broken glass of a drunken banquet as well as the stained glasses of a Gothic cathedral or the pandemic that we are faced with today secondly god's purposes are not frustrated by moral or marital conflicts the king thought he was in charge but god could move him like a pawn and in three god's people are not excluded from high places because of handicap or hardship esther was a foreigner and an orphan but by god's providence she became queen hebrews 11:1 says faith is assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen if you read the book of Hebrews, through those marbled halls of that book are men and women like you and I that God has used in huge ways. The thing is, as we look at Esther's life, God, God wants to use us as well in such a time as this. Time goes on, and like I said before, this pandemic will pass. But who knows what stories of faith will be acted out during this time of crisis, in a sense, in America. And all of us are called into this. It's, I suppose you could go home and shut your door and just stay there, and maybe some of us will have to do that. But nonetheless, while we are in contact with people, uh, God has us there for a reason. We've seen God work in un- eventful lives to produce unbelievable endings. He wants to do that with us. But the question that we always have to ask ourselves, am I willing? Am I open? When the Holy Spirit comes and beats on my heart's door, will I respond? And I think it, 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 we, we have to do self-evaluation. We ask ourselves this morning, is there sin in my life? Is there something between God and I? Have I built a wall? If you have, you just confess it and be done with that guilt and get it out of your life. Maybe you hate your job. Maybe this COVID-19 has you uh, feeling fear and anxiety. Maybe you have relationship problems. Maybe uh, you've lost your motivation to serve God. The, the, The door is not open with communication. Whatever hopeless situation that you find yourself in, we need to covenant with God today and pray for His intervention in our situations. Uh, help Him produce an unbelievable ending for us. He can heal marriages. We've got to trust Him for that. Maybe you're extremely discouraged. You have a lack of finances. Maybe you have a fear of people. Maybe you hate your weight or you hate the way you look or you hate getting older. Whatever it is, God can come. Take that obstacle and move it out of our way. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. If you believe this verse, memorize it. Put it somewhere where you can read it every day. And take heart in the fact that even though it doesn't seem like it, that our great God is still in control like I said, I miss you guys. It's just kind of strange being up here and not looking at your faces. But I've been here long enough that I can look, and I know where some of you sit. You sit there every Sunday, and I can, I can, I'm not going to name names, but I can, I can see your faces, and I know that, uh, that God is with you, and uh, everything's going to be okay might be some rough spots that we hit, but as we trust in God and the Holy Spirit fills our heart that He will fill us with the peace that we so much desire. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for loving us. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you made a way, God, that we can still uh, pray for each other, that we can get into each other's homes, in a sense, uh, through the media and uh, lift each other up and worship together. So I just pray, God, you'd just take this message that You might apply it to our hearts, Lord, and know that uh, in such a time as this, you have us here for such a reason as this, and that is to trust you and to help others do that as well. We ask these things in the name of Christ.